From the KLYT Broadcast Studio, this is ABQ Connect. Your input on today's topic is important to us. Join in the conversation by calling 505-338-5790 or text 505-585-LIVE. ABQ Connect. Uh, We hope you enjoyed your little taste of uh, a white Christmas. I don't know if that's going to be the extent of it or not. Probably too early to say. Uh, but there is going to be Christmas at Calvary TV broadcast available to you coming up on Christmas Day, uh, local channel uh, 13.1. If you're receiving on an antenna, uh, your CBS affiliate here locally will be airing Christmas at Calvary on Christmas Day at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. And then the Fox affiliate, uh, channel 13.2 at 9 a.m. Uh, on Christmas Day. Enjoy a, a cinematic experience in addition to worship music and a timely message from Skip Heights at Christmas at Calvary. And then uh, remember tomorrow at Calvary Church on Osuna, it's the Chris uh, Chris Tomlin concert. Uh, it gets underway at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Calvary Church in Albuquerque, Osuna, west of Jefferson. Details about that at calvarynm.church. And then tomorrow on ABQ Connect, uh, join us to uh, hear. Uh, we have Henry Lozano scheduled in studio, author of Borderlands. Uh, he'll talk about his redemptive story, uh, uh, where he, uh, became a, a drug user, drug dealer, went to prison, found Jesus and, uh, began ministry, ministering to, uh, those, uh, in addiction and found his, uh, way to work in the white house. So, uh, we'll hear uh, that story on tomorrow's ABQ connect along with your heritage, um, fa- your heritage foundation update and your Friday financial update with Brian Cochran from John Moore associates. All right. Uh, our full hour today dedicated, uh, to covering various issues and topics relevant to you in the, uh, New Mexico area with, uh, the president of the Rio Grande foundation, Paul guessing, uh, is in studio with us. And, uh, Paul, thanks for taking the time to put together some, uh, content and join us for the full hour. Hey, uh, good to be back with you, Steve. And, uh, final, show of ours for 2023 hard to believe we're heading quickly into 2024 and uh, i'll take this opportunity to wish you and your listeners a uh, merry christmas and a happy new year Uh, and uh, right back at you uh we uh uh, look forward to getting through uh, the as i said the various things uh, that you've prepared for us and actually we can jump uh, right into uh, another another man you know everyone wanted uh another mandate under the christmas tree and and lo and behold there you go <laughs> <laughs> well um boy uh we have a lot to talk about today there is so much going on uh obviously our focus at the rio grande foundation uh is on <clears throat> new mexico states and local public policy issues primarily those dealing with your pocketbook, the economy, the education system, and your constitutional liberties. Uh, but the uh, uh, a number of things going on here in New Mexico is positively stunning. Normally, this is the time, uh, you know, getting past the Thanksgiving holiday. We've got a little time to relax before the craziness of the legislative session comes. But... Uh, we were, as you know, uh, fighting against an electric vehicle mandate. Uh, the the Ex- Environmental Improvement Board, an unelected appointed body put there by the governor, adopted that, unfortunately, uh, the week before Thanksgiving, uh, since the last time we talked. So uh, the idea is within you know a very short time frame for the car dealers of New Mexico to have to sell uh, a vast increase in electric vehicles. So right now, about 3% of the uh, cars sold in New Mexico, new cars are electric. The governor, uh, through her board, uh, got uh, a mandate passed that by the summer of 2026, less than three years away, uh, 43% of vehicles sold in New Mexico. Heading to the summer of 2031, uh, will theoretically uh, be mandated to go to 82%. Uh, that passed, unfortunately, on a very narrow three to two votes in the uh, in this unelected board. So it's clear that even among 
Lujan Grisham's most ardent supporters, there's some trepidation about this kind of mandate. It's going to be expensive, unrealistic, et cetera, et cetera. So now uh, we have round two of mandates pushed by this governor to achieve her EV fantasy. And this one is through a different body called the Construction Industries Division. The idea is to force new commercial developments to have electric vehicle charging units or to have uh, facilities available, essentially electric electric provisions in place so that you can just plop an uh, $18,000 or so EV charger on that spot. Uh, And that 18,000 is about the number that 5%, if this regulation is passed, of charging space uh, of parking spaces and new development will have to be outfitted with two or so thousand dollars is what the estimate is for the EV ready spaces parking spaces outfitted with the uh, you know the electrical capacity to have an EV charging station added to that spot we're already in a housing crisis in the city of Albuquerque in Santa Fe not sure about Las Cruces. I think so. A uh, number of major cities, and we have inflation, rents going up. Uh, cities across New Mexico are all dealing with this. Yet another costly regulation. So um, we're not just talking about this, although we definitely want to educate people, uh, but we have rebooted our website, keepyourcarsinm.com, and folks can use that site to send a note to the environmental, the not the Environmental Improvement Board, that was the last time, the Construction <laughs> Industries Division, which is considering this regulation. Comments need to be received by them by January 2nd. So this is very soon when they will be considering this. Uh, I'm not super optimistic that we can win, but I think it is very important to have a critical mass of opposing uh, people on the record is saying this is a bad idea. This is too expensive. This is going to worsen already problematic inflation and housing prices, not to mention make development more difficult in our city and our state. And it's just not necessary. If people want EV charging units, then apartment developers and commercial developers will put them in place to make them available. They are a significant investment, but it's an investment that should be borne by the people who want them, not socialized through uh, mandates. And that's, of course, what our government governor is going for. She comes very close to is, socialist, and uh, this is socialization of these costs. Is is there any clear why that it would be mandated? Uh, I mean, I, I can speculate. I know you can speculate, Paul, uh, but... Has there been anything from uh, government leaders uh, that say why the mandate? Well, the push on the political left these days is for so-called green policies. Um, And I believe that those uh, mandates are, you know, ill-designed and will not be effective in addressing what environmental issues that we do face as a nation and world, especially while China is massively ramping up their construction of coal-fired power plants uh, and outpacing the United States and the rest of the developed world in terms of our CO2 emissions. Well, not not to mention what it, what it takes to make these batteries. Oh, the mining, the... The, the additional damage they and, do you know, to the roads. Not to say that if, you know, hey, if someone wants an, an EV, go get it. Uh, Absolutely. I, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, well, uh, you know, I want, I want what's best. And I don't, uh, I haven't done the research to say, you know, what, uh, what's going to be the uh, least harmful to the environment. But uh, I don't think it's clear that uh, an EV that takes, you know, the, the, carbon footprint that it takes to make its battery uh and then a battery what that what lasts for seven seven years or so um you know and then you you get a new battery and you, you uh any no no it takes seven i think it takes seven years uh for it to um 
make up for whatever carbon footprint it left um, by the clean, you know, driving around. Uh, and then, you know, there might be three years of use out of after that. Uh, and then you're buying another battery and starting all over again. Yeah, uh, the great and one of, I believe, the greatest thinkers of our times, Thomas Sowell, has a famous quote that uh, is basically, there are no solutions, there are only trade-offs. Uh-huh. And EVs have trade-offs relative to gas-powered vehicles. First and foremost, the electricity uh, demand will rise as EVs become a bigger part of our transportation mix. That is going to require electricity generation. And we already have challenges in the near term with production of electricity because we're pushing in this state to so-called green uh, wind and solar with batteries. And those batteries are lithium batteries, which involve mining. We're not doing that mining here in the United States, by and large. This is coming to us from uh, foreign countries, often third world countries. countries with very little in the way of environmental regulations, let alone labor regulations. Uh, And we're losing political control over uh, our future supply of these minerals as we forego the ability to mine them by locking up lands that otherwise would be uh, used potentially for those mines. We would need a, uh, you know, the moon program, you know, when that happens, there was a national effort to say we are going to the moon by X date. And that's something that a lot of people in government like the concept of because it gives them the ability to legislate and overwhelmingly focus government on a goal. There is no such goal in place. There is no such activity in place when it comes to electric vehicles. Instead, we are going to wind up relying on China and other hostile or impoverished nations for a heavy dose of this mining. Now it's out of sight, out of mind, but it is a trade-off and it is a reality of these electric vehicles. And uh, of course the electricity addition to the grid that we're going to need, is it's going to have to come from somewhere. So you can either say, well, it's coal fired uh, vehicle, which is not incorrect at this current state of, the, uh, of play, or, um, you know, somehow we are, mining our way to have battery capacity for the electricity generation while competing with the tremendous uptick in electric vehicles. This is not well thought out. This is policymaking in fantasy land. It's happening in Washington too on the same issues uh, as it is here in New Mexico. Uh, It's not going to happen. I will bet my house that (laughs) there will not be 43% of new vehicles sold in New Mexico within three years uh, sold that will be electric vehicles. Uh, It just is not going to be the case because we're not only not producing the vehicles. In fact, Ford just announced a couple of days ago that they are slashing their F-150, the electric vehicle version, in half because of lack of demand. So you have these this immovable object of consumers' lack of interest in electric vehicles with the uh, irresistible force of government requirements and mandates at all levels of government. And uh, something will give, generally speaking, when politicians want something that their constituents do not want at all and the constituents have the final say-so, the constituents and the customers win out. So in New Mexico, uh, that means that at some point we're going to see a shift politically, but more importantly, and we could see the repeal of the EV mandates and some of these policies, but it does require a political awakening on the part of the citizens in New Mexico. Second best is people will go to other states, neighboring Texas being one obvious example, and go buy the vehicle of their choice that makes sense for them. Another option is that Amazon recently got into the vehicle sales industry and business, and folks could go online into other sources, circumventing the uh, policy that way that requires them to buy the electric vehicle. So in summary, this next 
regulation is on the charging units and on new commercial development, especially apartment buildings, which we are we see are in short supply. And also, oh, by the way, if you increase the cost of apartments in Albuquerque and the rest of the state, that's a regressive tax because the people who occupy apartment buildings are usually of, you know, statistically, they're of a so lower, relatively speaking, socioeconomic uh, state than people who can afford to buy a house. It's just a fact. Uh, and so this is regressive. It's impacting the poor and the lower income folks the most. So there are so many reasons to oppose this. It's just a matter of at some point we need to elect politicians who there you don't come up with these you, I was crazy schemes. To get there, Paul. Yeah, it uh, really just boils down to that. Yeah, go go to the polls and vote uh, who you would want in office that would um, uh, support the uh, issues that uh, you believe in. And there are legislators, certainly all Republicans in the legislature signed letters opposing the original EV mandate. Uh, there were several Democrats who wrote letters opposing the EV mandate. Uh, the governor will never stand for election again, or at least doesn't have to as governor, she could run for another office. Uh, but in 2024, we have the entire legislature up, and I think it will behoove, uh, although the legislature has limited power to push back against these policies, uh, but it would behoove us to carefully evaluate who is running in various races for the legislature. Do they want a rubber stamp for these kinds of policies coming from the legislature, or do they want people who are going to stand up for what's, uh, I think, best for New Mexico? And there, this is just one of many instances like that. All right. Well, listen, if you just tuned in, we're uh, spending the full hour today with the president of uh, the Rio Grande Foundation, riograndefoundation.org, uh, and uh, much of what we're covering today found at errorsofenchantment.com. Uh, Paul's article's there. Uh, we'll can, and, you know, listen, we're not done uh, with the EV. Uh, it's, uh, you know, we've talked about the, uh, of the charging stations. We talked uh, about the cars. Uh, the buses are on the way. And we'll talk about that when we come back from the break on ABQ Connect. Thanks for joining us on ABQ Connect. Uh, as you prepare to get out and do things with your family this year, uh, consider uh, some of the free events you can get out to, including this weekend, it's Journey to Jesus. Uh, that's going to be in the Albuquerque area in the extreme South Valley at the Secret Sanctuary. Uh, that is located five miles south of Rio Bravo on 2nd Street. And that'll be this Saturday at 6 p.m. with a, a free event that is family-friendly, live nativity, hot chocolate, pasole. And you'll find the details at underhisconstruction.org. Uh, they're one of the sponsors along with New Beginnings Church. So now that looks to be a real nice family uh, atmosphere and event out in rural uh, Albuquerque. Another one happening in... Um, Santa Fe is a living nativity. This is a free event at First Baptist Church, Santa Fe, Old Pecos Trail and Lupita Road. Uh, that's happening uh, this Saturday at 6 p.m. It's an outdoor event. It includes uh, the manger scene uh, that has uh, church members portraying uh, Mary, Joseph, the wise men, shepherds. There's going to be barn animals, camels, sh uh, shepherd's field, markets, marketplace, sing-along carols, and church musicians. If you want details about that event, go to FBC. Santa Fe, that's for First Baptist Church, fbcsantafe.com. And hey, we went to Albuquerque and Santa Fe. Why not go to Las Cruces? Uh, thanks to those listening at 88.1 FM. One of our listeners there let us know about an Old Town Bethlehem event free. Now, this is in a residential area, 4881 Rain Tree Lane in Las Cruces. That's south of County Road 243 West on Rain Tree Lane. And that's happening Thursday, December 21st at 6 p.m. Uh, come on out and remember the true meaning of Christmas while enjoying a live nativity and refreshments. There you go. Big plans for the family. You getting out, Paul? Uh, we're going to be in town for the Christmas holiday, but we always have uh, various adventures in store. And with all this wonderful precipitation that has landed, uh, especially up in the mountains, uh, I think it's safe to say we may do some sledding uh, in the oh. mountains as well as 
maybe some skiing. Uh, this is early in the season for us to have this kind of uh, mountain snow. So yeah. conditions should be pretty darn good up there uh, for those kinds of activities. And I look forward to it. Now, our guest for the full hour today is uh, the president from the Rio Grande Foundation, Paul Guessing. And, um, you know, we talked uh, in our first segment about uh, some of the EV mandates uh, uh, for the cars and for the chargers and uh, for new construction. And now we look to uh, what's in our future as far as public transportation here in Albuquerque and maybe being able to look forward uh, and to see what we might be experiencing in the coming months by looking at some other cities, Paul, that are already um, maybe a little more underway than we are. Yeah, we actually talked about this a while back on the show, at least one specific example. But the long and short of it is that not only do government bureaucrats and politicians want us to all drive electric vehicles, we are also uh, facing mandates and uh, push for electric buses to be implemented across the nation. And uh, no surprise that uh, given Albuquerque and our politics and our mayor particularly, we've jumped on board with this trend. But uh, there's a company called ProTerra, and uh, they are an electric bus company that has gone bankrupt despite receiving uh, large subsidies from the Biden administration. They have buses in Wyoming, in, in the liberal part of Wyoming, uh, near Jackson uh, and the mountains up there and the fanciest part of the state. The rest of Wyoming probably doesn't have many buses anyway, but Jackson, Wyoming is a, is a populated city and a liberal place within a big conservative block there of Wyoming. Uh, they have had troubles and we talked about those troubles on the show. Well, Austin is kind of the reverse or similar. It's actually a blue speck within Texas. Austin, uh, of course, in a neighboring state there was just uh, discussed in a re recent news report about similar problems they are having with their buses. And there's a few quotes. One is that uh, Proterra is in Austin attempting to cut off potential warranty claims for buses, batteries, chargers, and other items. Uh, so you have a transit company in Austin, Texas, that has purchased these buses. And I think bankruptcy laws often reduce those liabilities, including warranties. People don't always think, oh, th this bankruptcy voids the warranty. Well, it, that's what Proterra seems to be doing in Austin, Texas. Well, Albuquerque has five Proterra buses, as last news reports in the Albuquerque Journal indicate from this fall. So these are relatively recent reports. They are on their way. The city uh, is on its way to purchasing a total of 40 in the years to come. Now, I don't have all this information because I had to do a public records request. I have reached out to a few city councilors, and I hope that they are actively pursuing this among the many other things happening at Albuquerque City Council. But we have these five buses. I have seen them with my own eyes up and down Coors. I've seen them a couple of times, but that's a few months ago. So I'm wondering, A, are these buses, these Proterra buses that other cities and areas are having so many problems with currently actively driving on the roads? If not, are there issues with them that have been seen in other places like Austin and up in Wyoming. We are working to find the answers on this. And if the city complies with the, the state's public records law, I will have an answer for you in early January when we next talk. But um, I, I'm not sure. And I'm wondering, finally, with the issues that are being experienced with this company in other cities, and it's not just pro terror uh, Austin. It's not just uh, Wyoming. Um, there's a quote in the recent article. Uh, here it is. On average, half of the first lot of pro terror buses and about one third of the second lot are out of service at any given time. That is from Broward County, Florida in, in the, the article. You can find this at errorsofenchantment.com. This is our regularly updated blog. You can find links to it at riograndefoundation.org as well. 
So we have at least three major jurisdictions across the country that are having serious issues with Proterra uh, and their buses. We don't know the answer here in Albuquerque, and it would not surprise me if we are having issues that are being swept under the rug yeah. by the Keller administration, but we do not know the answer to that yet. And I, you know, I still have to ask, uh, as I did in the first segment, you know, what's the why here? You know, why, why, uh, electric, uh, but, uh, you know, there's probably an answer we can all speculate on, but, uh, it'd be interesting to know, you know, ah, enough, uh, <laughs> uh one of the other articles you find at errors of enchantment, uh, we're going to uh, talk about, and, and Paul, I'll just throw this to you. Uh, about Albuquerque's crisis of democracy. Yeah, and uh, this is another one. Uh, All of these, you know, the why is always twofold. It is green politics, which are ultimately anti-human politics. Uh, There's nothing wrong with being for the environment, but it should be a component of being good stewards, not of God's creation, not of replacing human beings with a and there are and god with the environments uh, and gaia and all this other mumbo jumbo but uh that's one of the whys the other why is that these green so-called policies often serve a second thing for these politicians which is power whether it's in the form of subsidies and political favors or just more power over us, yeah, we contr- the people. Control, uh, yeah. yeah. So uh, the latest involves, again, fallout from the Environmental Improvement Board, the last regulation that was passed. At the table was the City of Albuquerque slash Bernalillo County Air Quality Board, which sat there with the EIB, but also was looking at other regulations. These other regulations would involve so-called social justice and air quality permits and really restricting the ability for institutions, whether existing or new, to obtain air quality permits. And these permits are, like anything, a regulatory process that involve anybody who's emitting anything into the air. So you had some unique, unusual bedfellows, so to speak, like Kirtland Air Force Base, that publicly uh, spoke out against this board's activities and this proposed rule that this unelected board was looking at. The unelected local board, by the way, went along with the EV mandate 7-0. So they were full-throated in their support for this regulation. Even University of New Mexico, which generally is a big government, yes, regulation, yes, left-wing policy, UNM came out in... Uh, opposition to this proposal uh, that was being put forth by the air quality board. So Councillor Dan Lewis at city council pushed a regulatory reform of the board to make sure that you had issue experts, that they were more accountable to the city council, which put half or more of the members there uh, and that they had to be operated in a more transparent way. Well, kind of going back and forth, they passed Lewis's reform on a five to four basis. City council did five to four. That was then vetoed by the mayor. There were at least some that held out hope that the mayor would be sane and not go to left wing on this policy. He did not. He vetoed it. Well, then in a nothing short of a Christmas miracle, we'll just say it's a early Christmas miracle. We got another city councilor who decided to vote to override the mayor's veto, and they did that at a recent city council meeting. Well, fast forward to the current state of play. After this board was already essentially disempowered, they were stripped of their authority. The unelected board. The unelected air quality board that... Lewis's uh, legislation will reform and reconstitute that they continue to meet. They continue to spend money. They continue to engage in their activities and they are suing uh, their attorney. No surprise here. uh, 
Senator Antoinette Cedillo-Lopez, one of the very most leftist members of the entire legislature. She is their attorney, uh, which is one of the glories of New Mexico, where people wear many hats and they get to be bad for different reasons. Well, she's bad for many reasons. Uh, And, you know, you have this, what I call a crisis of democracy, where you have a unelected rogue board refusing to acknowledge that the elected officials of the city have overturned their power and stripped them of the power in this particular case. And then, shockingly, here is a tweet from Mayor Keller, who I understand, yes, sympathetic to the goals of this board, but he also should be adhering to small-D Democratic principles. So he tweeted, X'd, for lack of a better word, Not surprising. This is what happens when council steps out of line to take action against a joint board rather than trying to work toward an actual productive outcome. Well, hello, Mr. Keller, Mayor Keller. Uh, This is the small D democratic process in action. They overrode your veto. You lost this one. It's time to move forward. You know, you hear all this talk about, oh, Donald Trump threats democracy, and I'm not here to defend Donald Trump. And tweets, but (laughs) I am here to say that the uh, problems with adhering to small-D Democratic principles are very, very rampant, certainly on the left side of the political spectrum, and with our own mayor, who seems to prefer uh, the stance of supporting an unelected board over the elected city council. So this is a mess. I can't even speculate as to how this will all shake out. What I can say is that uh, it is clear that uh, Tim Keller is not on the side of democracy. Well, and uh, look for the continuing saga at errorsofenchantment.com. Paul will be uh, sure to uh, keep us up updated Absolutely. Uh, on that. All right, listen, if you just tuned in, uh, we are uh, in a full hour uh, conversation with the president of the Rio Grande Foundation, Paul Guessing, and much of the content uh, coming from, if not all the content today, coming from errorsofenchantment.com. Uh, you can go to uh, that or riograndefoundation.org uh, for more details. And um, uh, do stay with us when we come back. There's more with Paul after this on ABQ Connect. All right. Hey, I want to remind you that uh, still have an opportunity to go to klyt.fm and click on the GFA World Christmas Critter Campaign banner uh, and select a, a gift for uh, others in Asia or Africa. An opportunity for you and your family to change lives this Christmas. Uh, your gift can help break the cycle of poverty and show Christ's love to impoverished families across the globe, whether it's uh, providing clean water or uh, other ways for the family to eke out a living uh, where they are or to simply deliver the truth of uh, the gospel to them. Uh, and uh, you, yeah, you can send a Bible for just $10 uh, or a couple of chickens for $11. So of course, they can get the eggs from that. Uh, uh, they can raise other chickens uh, to eat or sell. And uh, yeah, it's a just a great opportunity. And and the, the ministry at uh, GFA World, you know, th- their staff deliver the gifts and have opportunity to share the love of Christ with those receiving your gift. Go to klyt.fm to find out more or call 855-513-2127. Here's that number. It's 855-513-2127. Uh, thanks for joining us on ABQ Connect. Our conversation today is with the president of the Rio Grande Foundation, Paul Guessing. And uh, Paul, we just when I thought we were done talking about mandates, uh, you are going to share uh, a, a political cartoon or a political uh, drawing with uh, with our audience on the radio. I'm looking forward to, to, to listening to that happen. Well, uh, <laughs> this is from Sunday's Albuquerque Journal. It is one of the finest political cartoons I've ever seen in all of my days uh, by John Trevor. He makes subscribing to the journal worth it all by himself. Uh, first and foremost, picture the Wizard of Oz and the scene where the Wicked Witch of the West flies over Dorothy and her compatriots and uh, in smoke on her broom, 
Skywrites Surrender Dorothy. Well, the cartoon is the governor riding on a private jet uh, labeled EV mandates, flying over a uh, undefined area, but the yellow brick road is clearly there, and the green Emerald City is instead Dubai, <laughs> uh, and it says surrender your SUVs. And uh, of course, uh, this is what we've been talking about for a bulk of the show so far is our governor's power grab taking uh, over your choice in vehicles and also incredibly insp- expensive mandates both on the vehicles and the charging stations that go into them. So that was a pretty good description, I think. And, oh, by the way, uh, the governor uh, has the full regalia, shit, let's uh, we sh- shall we say, of the Wicked Witch of the West, which... Uh, if you listen to me or this show or know uh, my foundation, I rarely have antipathy towards politicians at the level that I have towards this particular individual, the governor of our state. Um, not not a collaborator, not a forward thinker, and somebody who I think uh, personally is uh, not doing things in the best interests of New Mexicans, shall we say. All right. Well, you actually described that uh, uh, quite well. I, I was kind and of And if impressed. you haven't seen The Wizard of Oz, uh, please. Yeah. <laughs> You're missing out. Yeah. Uh, I almost closed. I should have closed my eyes and just listened. Uh, but uh, at, at any rate, let's move on. Uh, much of what we're covering today, which, by the way, that political cartoon you'll find at Errors of Enchantment dot com yes, as, I snapped as well. a picture and posted it for all of our listeners That's or readers right. uh okay so uh, let's move on uh, and look at the next article titled uh, new mexico's anti-poverty programs ineffective despite spending more than 10 billion well why would that be paul oh man uh, we could do a whole show on this <laughs> but i will keep it down to the cliff notes uh, this is a report, yet another in a, I would say, long string of reports uh, from the Legislative Finance Committee, or LFC, as they call it for short in Santa Fe. This is the internal think tank of the New Mexico legislature. And so, uh, you know, being that we are an external think tank, and not only that, but uh, our views on the way things should be are not necessarily those you find reflected in Santa Fe, both by the legislature itself and uh, certainly our governor. But uh, the LFC report uh, says that our anti-poverty programs in New Mexico are not doing much to bring people out of poverty. And I, uh, I know you can't see this, but I say, this is my shocked face. Ah, (laughs) surprise, you've seen the memes on the internet. You can get an impression of what my shocked face might look like. Uh, I'm not surprised at all by this outcome from the Legislative Finance Committee because we've been saying the same thing for years and years. And uh, just a few data points, some things that maybe you don't know about what the report said, which first and foremost, shock of shocks, the best Anti-poverty program is a J-O-B. That's a job. Yes, uh, they have this right there in the report showing uh, state labor force participation rates are significantly correlated with state poverty rates. Ergo, that means fancy for, therefore, if you have more people working, you have lower poverty in your state. I know this is <laughs> Everybody, well, you know, don't I, worry. Your minds I, are blown. I, I know. I have to, you know, I have to wonder uh, what what changed uh, over the years. I mean, maybe maybe nothing, uh, but you know, I, I think back to when I hear stories like this. There was a time where, uh, in, in our young family, we received government assistance. Um, uh, we don't anymore, um, and we're not eligible for. <laughs> uh, but the idea was to help people in a tough spot to get back to where they could uh, work hard to provide for themselves and get off of the assistance. Uh, and it just seems like uh, what's set up here, based on what we're seeing, is you know more and more, um, and I don't know if it's a cultural <laughs> thing with a generation or 
uh, a change in government or what, but, um, you know, has, has the whole idea of, of, uh, uh, the assistance being a temporary thing changed? Yes. <laughs> the simple answer is yes. The mentality has indeed changed, uh, in the idea that assistance from the government was a temporary thing. And quite frankly, you know, we don't talk about shame very much anymore. And maybe that is something that we should reintroduce into our society is the idea that you should be ashamed to an extent to receive government subsidies and government payments. Uh, nowadays, people are very proud. They don't even understand that a lot of the programs like food stamps, et cetera, are uh, put there by governments and they are uh, welfare programs. It's something that unfortunately is a problem. Uh, so the idea is you're supposed to use them when times are tough and get out of those programs. Instead, it becomes a lifestyle for a lot of a lot of people. And it's one of the fundamental problems of New Mexico. And uh, oh, by the way, the Legislative Finance Committee, this report, found that New Mexico is one of the most generous states in the nation when it comes to uh, welfare payments. We are number two. Only Vermont is more generous. The land of Bernie Sanders, not surprisingly, uh, with their welfare uh, payments. So uh, I think that is a place to start. This is not necessarily is what I'd run on if I'm running for governor, but it is important information. And again, very, very gratifying to see this information coming from the Legislative Finance Committee and seeing reports coming out essentially stating facts that we have at the Rio Grande Foundation discussed, uh, I would say, ad nauseum or it, it very frequently uh, and brought up this, uh, you know, th this issue as something that needs to be addressed. All right. Um, again, you'll find that story and under the headline, uh, New Mexico's anti-poverty programs ineffective despite spending more than $10 billion. Find it at errorsofenchantment.com. Uh, uh, I'm going to take this this time to actually, um, well, first, thank our engineer, uh, Jared, today is keeping us on the air and, and move, moving along. Uh, but uh, I'll say on the air, we're going to we're gonna skip uh, our, our next break uh, to, take, to go straight to the top of the hour with the content we have. Make sure uh, we cover uh, the, um, the issues that uh, uh, Paul suggested we talk about uh, today. So just a, a heads up there. And thank Jared again. Uh, for all the hard work he and Tayshawn do uh, daily on ABQ Connect to uh, keep us on the air and, and doing what we do. Um, again, uh, errorsofenchantment.com is where you'll find a lot of these stories. Uh, the next one, actually, Paul, this next story about the, the land grab underway in, in southern New Mexico for more uh, parks, or, or uh, I guess uh, uh, not parks, but um, monument monuments. Um, I, uh, I was just kind of curious, hopped on uh, Google maps and, and went to go see, uh, uh, just the landscape, uh, what, uh, what these were for, you know, for what it's worth, uh, uh just kind of interested. Uh, but, um, uh, another land grab underway in Southern New Mexico. And uh, might we see something happen before, uh, what, you know, if the president was was any part of this, uh, President Biden, do you anticipate him, um, you know, putting in his, his two cents uh, or much more um, uh, before the end of this term? Or would it be something that uh, he would wait in the event that he's on, on the ballot and in the event he got reelected? Well, there's no way to tell, but uh, let's start off with a few details on what's happening. Uh, the proposal uh, outlined last week by uh, U.S. Congressman Gabe Vasquez and State Senator Kerry Hamblin, both Democrats, uh, what is to put 245,000 acres around Deming, mostly to the south of Deming, 
in an area called the Florida Mountains. I'm not sure if they actually down you, there they say Florida. Florida. Okay. Yes. Uh, I'm not that familiar with the area. I was, I was in Deming, and when I said I was on Florida Road, I got corrected more than once. It's yeah. I it's, figured it might not be the uh, it is original Florida. pronunciation yeah, there, Florida. But it's uh, Florida Mountains, Cooks Range, and Good Sight Mountains, which all uh, would be parts of those would all be put off limits through a monuments designation, a national monument. Now, this all functionally goes back. Uh, so nothing has specifically happened yet in the sense that nothing has changed with this land, but a monument designation would make them very much off limits to a wide variety of ranching, farming, mineral uh, excavation, mining, uh, and those are two different things. Uh, but you have all kinds of activities that take place on these lands now that would be prohibited into including mechanized vehicles, you know, forerunners or whatever. So a much more restrictive designation for these lands and uh, the idea and the impetus behind doing this is coming from this congressman and uh, at least one state legislator, but really they're carrying water for the environmental groups and they are pushing this forward to President Biden because we have a 1906, over 100 years ago, Antiquities Act that was really meant to put, say, uh, you had a battlefield that you wanted to uh, make possibly a national monument at some point. That is the kind of thing that this law was intended for. Hundreds of acres, possibly, not hundreds of thousands of acres off limits to uh, various activities. But uh, as with so much of the federal government, we've come to a point where the president of the United States acting on his own can wave his pen and phone and make <laughs> this the reality. We saw this under Mr. Pen and Phone himself, President Obama with the Oregon Mountains, uh, a, a group of uh, mountains down there by Las Cruces that he made a non national monument. Uh, this would be a Biden-oriented you know, policy that could be enacted, could be done tomorrow, could be done uh, if he does not get reelected as he walks out the door, or it is something that could wait if he is reelected to a second Biden term. We just don't know how this all will or could happen uh, but the really unfortunate thing is, and you're going to find this as a theme recurring with us here at Rio Grande Foundation, is that the process is inherently lacking in small d democratic principles where you would have the legislature say, yes, we support this. The county commission say, yes, we support this, like in Luna County. The uh, Congress enacting a resolution in support of this uh, instead we have a law that allows one person, the president of the United States, yes, he's elected, but uh, boy, there's a lot of people who may not know uh, where the Florida mountains are that are voting on his election or re-election. And I think it's important that you have actual proven political support from local uh, interest as well as Congress before this kind of decision is made. But no, uh, President Biden could do it himself tomorrow if he chose to. All right, we've got about two minutes. I, I do want to plenty of time. I do want to cover this uh, New Mexico education spending uh, growing again, uh, but for little benefit. And and let me say this real quick, then I'll throw it to you, Paul, and uh, we'll take it to to the top. Um, you know, when I, when I think about what we've talked about education and more and more money, more more money, more money, more money, and we see the same problems or things getting worse. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like baking a cake that's terrible and, uh, okay, well, let's get more of the same ingredients and make a bigger cake. It's still bad. That is an excellent analogy. And I, uh, I may use that. So, uh, the upshot is normally we would be talking all about the upcoming legislative session, a 30 day session that begins, uh, in the middle of January, 
Uh, they're going to have another $3.5 billion surplus to spend. And PED, the Public Education Department, very much wants their cut. Uh, that is why they've requested a 21% year-over-year increase in their budget, which already constitutes about half of the general fund budget. Uh, they are requesting $5.1 billion uh, in the upcoming session. Since fiscal year 2020, the budget has risen by 30%. While they are educating fewer students, and uh, that's a number that had been going down for years uh, in New Mexico as a general trend, and the Legislative Finance Committee had reported on that downward trend, and I provide some information and background on that at heirsofenchantment.com. But uh, that exodus really took uh, on hyperspeed during COVID, and we don't have exact numbers on that because it's relatively recent data point. But the fact is, is we're spending more and more money on fewer and fewer customers. So there you go. You you spend more money to bake a terrible cake. People say, <laughs> heck no, I don't want that cake. And here here's what we're doing. So we're just going to throw more money, good money after bad. Uh, so I have a nice little chart there showing the very quick increase in the education budget along with the decline in student enrollments. I don't think people need to recognize, uh, but we have plenty of information at heirsofenchantment.com on the poor outcomes. And the Legislative Finance Committee itself did a report recently acknowledging that more uh, more spending at the public education department has not resulted in better outcomes. So we're just just spending more money for no good reason and... uh, we're going to fight against this, but you know when the legislature is of the political ilk that it is, and the governor is as well, it's going to be tough to stop this kind of thing. Again, it comes down to, are we going to elect people who just pour more good money after bad, or are they going to change the system so it actually works to educate New Mexico kids? Well, Paul, guessing the president of the Rio Grande Foundation, the full hour with us today. We appreciate your time, Paul. Appreciate the work you put into these uh, issues and they can all be uh, revisited at heirsofenchantment.com a very merry christmas to you uh, everyone at the foundation your family and a happy new year and we look forward to catching up with you in january always appreciate the time steve take uh, care all right coming up stay with us jay seculo right after the break you're listening to abq connect on klyt